I am going to make this intro very quick because I'm trying to get out the door for a flight. So without further ado, today's guest is Hunter Allen, who is known as the godfather of training with power for cyclists. Now, before you say, ah, I just don't want to geek out on power, I don't care about cycling, there are a lot of great nuggets of information in here for anyone that thinks they might want to be a coach or a mentor or open up any kind of system where they're helping other people achieve their goals. So without further ado, here's the interview and stay tuned for a very quick show notes at the end of the episode. Welcome to the Build Cycle, the podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. So Hunter, you are kind of known as the guy who really pushed training with power into the cycling world. Um, you've written a few books and have set some software to help people coach kind of remotely, and we'll get into all that, but before you came up with all of that, what were you doing? Uh, so I started Peaks Coaching Group, uh, basically when I retired from being a professional cyclist. Uh, I had been working with uh, a few local athletes, just you know, helping them out, and then I uh, kind of had one of those moments of like, okay, what am I going to do with my life after I retired from cycling? And um, had uh, a client come to me and uh, and said, hey, I want to have you as my coach, and uh, but I don't have any money. I'm a poor college student at Clemson University, uh, but I'm a programmer and I can build you a website. And I was like, what's a website? <laughs> so, what year is this then? This is '97. Okay. So uh, he's like, oh, it's like this business card online. It'll be really cool, you know. I'm like, why do I need a business card online? I've got a business card. I don't need one online. That's stupid. Um, and he's like, oh, I finally convinced me. You know, let's say, okay, so I'll, I'll have a website. So he built a website for me. And the next thing you know, I had like, you know, 40 clients. And I'm like, wow, turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. <laughs> and, uh, and then I realized like, oh, wow, I have a business here. There's something that I can do with this. So I started recruiting some of my former uh, pros who were also retired and said, hey, would you like to start coaching and, and working on this? So we start, I started the coaching business and started working with uh, multiple athletes that I was coaching, my other coaches, and I started training them. And then, you know, around 99, um, things were going well and we were growing and uh, another athlete came to me and said, hey, uh, I have this power meter thing. I'm an early adopter. I bought this power meter. I don't know what to do with it. Would you start coaching with it? So I said, sure, I guess so. I've never had a power meter. I have no idea what this means, but I'll try. And so immediately, like, we started sending self-spreadsheets back and forth and um, he said, you know, uh, I, for me, I didn't know what a thousand watts meant. Is that good? Is that bad? And um, so I bought a power meter and I went out and started training again because I needed to know for myself what it meant. 
then um, then we started having more and more elaborate spreadsheets, and again, very fortuitous. Uh, he was also a very good programmer. Uh, Kevin Williams is his name. And then we started building Cyclone Peak software. So we built that and started like just playing with it in 2001, just to like have something to do, you know, to be able to to like segment out pieces of the workout, like create intervals and make it easier to see what our numbers were. And then we like got really serious in 2002 um, and 2003 and said, we're gonna actually launch this as a product. And so uh, we worked really, really hard and launched in 2003. And you know, I thought, well, maybe we'll sell 100 copies, who knows? And we sold a lot of copies of it and did really, really well. Um, and you know, really supported it through um, you know spending a lot of time in forums. You know, I mean, really, there was at the time the Wattage Forum, and that was how we totally supported it. We launched it to the Wattage Forum to the people in the Wattage Forum, really built it for them, and then supported it through that, and that really started to grow. Um, and then at the time, um, Gear Fisher, who is the current CEO of Training Peaks. He um, came along and said, hey, would you guys be interested in becoming a part of, at the time, it was called Training Bible. And so um, we said, well, I don't know, we'll think about it. And, and we ended up working it out together. And um, so Training Bible was, was, was you know, this online virtual company of coaching. And then we had Cycling Peaks software, so that merged together to become Training Peaks. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was how I got started. Okay, so we're going to back up quite a ways. All right, no worries. All that. So the coaching, when you quit racing, presumably you were racing road. Yep. Right? Yep. Professional. Um, were you, how did you start coaching? Like what training did you have to be able to coach? How did you know what to mm -hmm. coach people to do? I really didn't have any training. I mean, <laughs> you know, I got a degree in business and economics, um, so I didn't really have any training besides what I did myself. Uh, and uh, I knew that, I mean, I'm, I'm not super talented genetically, so like the way that I became a pro was through really hard work and also being very analytical about the training. Um, you know, I, at the time I had reams and reams of, you know, three ring binders of heart rate graphs and data that I captured and downloaded from uh, the first polar downloadable heart rate monitors. Um, and so that was really, really the, the first start of it. Um, so the first athletes that I coached, you know, and I think this happens with a lot of coaches actually, um, is that I just coached them the way that I trained. You know, one size fits all. Do it the way I did it. <laughs> right? And, 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 and that works sometimes and it doesn't work a lot of times. Uh, and, and um, you know, very quickly I learned, oh, wow, you know, I can't coach everybody that way. I've got to coach people the way they need to be coached. Um, so, so how did you figure that out? What were you looking at that you said, okay, well, this customer needs this type of training and this guy needs this type of training? Right. Um, well, initially, before we had the power meter, before we got that data, it was really just feedback. You know, I needed to hear from them, like, what was happening? How are they feeling? How are they doing? what's going on, um, and then I did a lot of kind of networking with other coaches who were early kind of coaches in that 
that era um, and saying, hey, I got this problem with this guy. What do you think? What would you do? You know, and so really did a lot of networking, asking uh, questions, and then um, changed uh, from, you know, thinking about, okay, it's all just hard work because that was my motto. Like, okay, if wow, this guy's going to go, my buddy's going to do 10 hill repeats, I'm going to do 15. You know, I'm just going to outwork everybody. And that's what that's how I became successful. Um, and I think that there's still some a lot of merit to that. <laughs> you know, you got to work hard, um, but at the same time, there's also um, you know this component of people. Uh, some people need more rest. Um, some people need a, actually a little less work, um, and some people need different focuses of work um, where you know everybody's physiology is very unique. So early on, it was definitely trial and error still, you know. How, when you elicited the, or solicited the feedback from the people you were training, what were the specific questions or tactics you used to make sure you were getting the right kind of information from them? Right. Um, So one, um, there is absolutely uh, a couple of different things that are really important. Um, One is how you're sleeping which uh, a lot of people um, overlook, but the first thing that happens when you start to train too much and overtrain, the, uh, you don't sleep really well. Um, you would think that, wow, they're really tired, and so you would sleep a lot, but actually the opposite happens, uh, which is strange, but that's what happens. Uh, two, um, feedback from the, what's, what the feeling in the legs are because if, once you kind of get to a certain place of cycling, you have this feeling of the legs. Are the legs heavy? Are they tight? Are they loose? Are they supple? Are they soft? Do they feel uh, very powerful? You know, so there's all this whole vocabulary of the feeling of what the muscles feel like. Um, and I have fortunate enough to know pretty aware of the body and how that feels. So I was able to interpret what they said. Uh, and then to look at kind of um, a couple other things like um, you know how their performance was being how they were performing in the races versus how they were performing in training were they doing the workouts could they do the workouts and then if they couldn't do the workouts how did that correlate with the races so I was early on doing some Excel spreadsheets and just putting in notes and putting in some some you know things that they told me and trying to make some correlations Um, so that helped how has that changed over time? Because now you've got heart rate monitors and power meters and everything uploads all of that data to the cloud where you can see. So do you still rely on some of the subjective, how are you feeling and sleeping? Or Absolutely. is it all no, data-based? No. I mean, you got to have both, right? I mean, it's the, I mean to me, it's the, the art and the science of, of coaching. And so the science is all that data. And so you've got to have that data because that's super important to understand, you know, where they're going, diagnose it, understand the here's the training prescription, et cetera. Here's how they've you know improved, but then also what they're telling you. Right. So the best relationships that I have with my current athletes are the ones that give me not only give me their data files, but they also give me their feedback and they write that would be a dissertation, three or four sentences, you know, you know, about how they feel, what happened in the ride, and that's really helpful. Right. So you gotta have both. And so when power meters 
Actually, power meters had been out for a while. They just weren't very widespread. When that first guy came to you, was it immediately this aha moment? Like, here's this new technology. I need to jump on this right now? Or? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It was more like, oh, man, I don't know. What is, what's going on with this? I don't really right. understand it. You know? But you did it. You, yeah. Well, you went Eventually. out and you got one. Do you, was, yeah. Were there any other coaches that you knew of at the time that adopted that technology? Not, not that I knew of at the time. Right. I mean, there were some that were on this wattage forum, um, and so we were all a little bit uh, exchanging ideas and working through those ideas and such. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, and I think that was that was a part of it. Um, but yeah, it was uh, very much a uh, how do we take this and create a step by step process of training with it. Right. Um, and that really, to me, was the genius of, of, of what, you know, I did along with a bunch of other people, Dr. Coggin and, and others, was that we actually systematized the training, right? And so everybody, all humans want to have a system, right? Oh, just tell me the step-by-step process. Like, what do I have to do? Step A, step B, step C, step C, there. Just give me the process and I'll go do it. And nobody had ever come up with that. And so I was able to do that. I was able to say, okay, this is the steps of what you have to do in order to train with a power meter. And here's all you have to do is just do these steps and you're training with a power meter. So how does, how does a systematized approach like that work when you still have athletes that handle workload differently like you were talking about earlier? Right. Do you just create a couple of different systems and then find the one that fits or something else? Um, well, it didn't, it doesn't necessarily, um, well, I mean, there were a couple of tools that we developed along the way that helped with that. Um, one, the, the basis of it was the fact that, okay, well, you know, we have to understand what your FTP is, your functional threshold power, and your training zones come from that, what are your strengths and weaknesses come from that, and then you go and train. And here are workouts that you actually do. And then from there, then here's the here's what the graphs and charts mean. Um, but what really became made it um, even more um, usable was when we developed the performance manager chart. And so we took the training stress score and we actually allow, you know built it into a chart that you could look at your form. We call it fitness. And we and then freshness and see how fit and fresh you were, and so based on that you could then say okay, well you know Tyler you need to make sure that you train really hard for five days but you need to rest for three days and then you train for hard for five days and rest for three days so you start to figure those things out from the performance manager chart so that one was to me like the big aha now we have something that can be more individualized for most people. Before you guys merged in, in the the training bible or yeah training bible training, yeah. came on when, before that happened before you had the the software program was this all like how automated was that system for each individual athlete and about how many athletes were you coaching at that time uh, before all that happened I mean man I was struggling right I was trying to coach forty athletes because. I was only charging like 50 bucks a month, you know, so I was like, well, I'm trying to charge, you know, not charge very much and I've got to coach a ton of athletes to deal with this. 
um, and not systematized at all. I mean, all my training plans were built in Word documents. Mm. None of them, you know, I was like retyping them all. There was no libraries. There was no workouts. There's none of that. You know, so it was very labor intensive. So all the systemization you were talking about came about after, as part of the yeah. the training peaks. Yeah, type as thing. part of the software. Yeah. So one of my questions, which I feel like you partly answered at the beginning, you said after you went from racing as a pro to coaching that you brought on some of your other pro friends mm -hmm. to coach too. So my, my question is like, when it's you, you're the, the name brand, so to speak, mm -hmm. as the coach, how do you scale that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, that's a challenge because um, that's, the, and that's certainly, you know, for me, I never named, I didn't ever name it Hunter Allen Coaching. I named it Peaks Coaching Group. So, because I wanted to be one, I wanted to create a group of collegial um, coaches that we would have feedback to each other and be able to work with each other. Um, and I didn't want it to be about my name necessarily. Uh, so that's the first step of it. Um, then and you thought of that consciously before oh, yeah. you started? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was really the beginning um, was, was, was what I thought about doing. So, um, and then at the same time, the... Uh, being able to say, uh, you know, one of the biggest problems in coaching is that coaches want to coach and they don't want to necessarily run a business. So all of a sudden, a lot of coaches, and it happens every day right now, right? They're, they're you know, oh gosh, I got a website I got to build. I've got to deal with taxes. I've got to, <laughs> you know, chase down people with credit cards. And I, oh, this guy's not paying me. You know, I've got to, you know, uh, update my blog. I haven't updated my blog in two months. You know, I've got to send a newsletter out. You know, oh, I've got to market, you know, to Google and Facebook and all this other stuff that we didn't even have back then. Um, you know, so I mean, all that stuff is now like, wow, next thing you know, you're, you don't have any time for you, right? It's like, oh, I'm coaching. 20 athletes because I got to coach 20 athletes, but then I'm running this business. So a lot of coaches would just rather coach. And so for me, it was a conscious decision to say, wow, okay, Peaks Coaching Group will run the business side of it. We'll do all of that side of it. We'll have the marketing director. We'll do all the admin. We'll make sure everything is done on that side. And you just coach. And then we'll actually even bring we'll bring clients to you we'll match clients with the coach so um you know that's what we do right we just bring all you know we do all the marketing we do everything that so the coach just has to coach and then they get a paycheck at the end of the month or in the middle of the month and they're happy you know they're psyched and they don't have to deal with all that other crap so i've got two questions i want to say them both just so i don't forget one uh first is how did you find those coaches and how quickly were you adding them and how did you train them? So that's one giant yep, yep. multi-part question. And the other is like, where in the timeline was what you did versus what uh, Chris Carmichael did with Carmichael Training Systems? Because mm -hmm. it sounds like a yeah. kind of similar approach Yeah, yeah. where he was the name, but he had a whole bunch of coaches under him. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, 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 Carmichael and I were about the exactly similar times um, because he left USA Cycling and then started his own thing when, when Lance kind of had the comeback and after he had cancer and such. Um, 
But uh, Lance, I mean Lance, um, well Lance did, you know, help fund a lot of CTS and then he had other venture capitalists. So I mean, Chris took a lot of venture capital um, in and, um, you know, so he had a lot of money to be able to do tremendous amounts of advertising, hire coaches, and that was a big difference. Like I didn't have any of that. So I grew it organically. I had to just grow it organically and, and um, you know, start, continue to grow, you know, slowly and small and, and keep that close-knit uh, group. You know, and, and so for me, having a coach, creating, like, well, how do I decide which coach do I bring on? One, they had a, now they have to train with power. Back then, they were just like, well, gosh, you know, what was, what was their experience? You know, because um, I think it's very difficult to be um, a really successful coach if you haven't competed at a certain level. Um, it's, you know, it's one thing, and I've batted this back and forth with other coaches, but it's like one thing is like you look at basketball, right? Um, you got these amazing basketball coaches, and they're like six feet tall. You're like, how are these guys amazing basketball coaches? They never play at the NBA level. You know, they're not so big tall. They don't know what they're doing, right? But they're in an enclosed court, and they can see the entire game, and they can strategize it, and they can figure it out. Where in cycling, you don't know what happens at 100 miles or 78 miles or what it's like to be in a breakaway, you know, and then you start having guys attack you and what is strategy and a criterion, um, you know, or what strategy in a mountain bike, hill climb, you know, or any of these things unless you've actually been there. So I think that the some of the, not always the case, but some of the best coaches are the ones who have ridden at a really high level um, and had success for themselves. So that was the first criteria and in the beginning. And then uh, the second criteria was really the charisma on the phone, right? I mean, sounds silly, sounds stupid, but, you know, most of the time our clients are, you know, remote. And, you know, who wants to talk to, like, hey, Tyler, oh, how's your training doing? Okay, well, that's really good. Keep up the work, right? Nobody wants to talk to Eeyore. Right, <laughs> I mean, it's like, dude, you did awesome. You're crushing it. You know, like I mean, you know, you want to have be able to to project your charisma through the phone or through your writing or whatever you do, so that you can motivate and get that person excited about what they're doing, and then get them to stay focused on their goal. So that charisma is huge, and then. Um, caring about the that person themselves, you know, I think that's a really big part of it. So you've got to have all these things. I mean, you know, knowledge of the sport and physiology and charisma, and all this stuff. It's it's not an easy person to find necessarily. Right. So with the Peach Peaks Coaching Group now, um, or sorry, Training Peaks, yep. the the software. Tell me a little bit more about that software, how that works. Is it an app? Is it a download? Is it just all cloud-based? Right. So um, my my big piece of it was uh, desktop software. So we started out as desktop software. Uh, Training Bible itself was more of a web-based. And then when we came together, we brought both those two things together. So we kept the desktop side. We had the web side. Um, they've grown, you know, kind of parallel tracks. The website has really taken off in a lot of ways. Um, 
and now there's the great mobile app that Training Peaks has as well, uh, and so they've they've really expanded all those offerings. The WKO four, the latest version, which I stayed on for the launch of that one, um, and was a big part of you know kind of helping that make that happen. Uh, that was uh, is still a desktop piece of software, and it syncs with all of the web based stuff. But you know you can just do the web based thing if you want to just do the web based thing. You don't have to do the desktop thing. You do they have a very good web app too. So and then the mobile thing. So they've got the whole all the bases covered. Everybody's a little different. The the I would say like the light version is the web based, and then if you want really detailed analysis, so you do it with the desktop. And how much of that system relies on individual coaches and how much of it is automated now where it's more algorithmic in terms of setting up a training plan? Yeah, I mean, none of it's really algorithmic. I mean, there is uh, the virtual coach that Training Peaks has online. And so you put in your goals, you put in your time, you put in some of your strengths and weaknesses, and it helps you build a training plan from that, which is pretty damn cool, actually. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily give you all that you need. It gives you a good skeleton or a good guideline of what you want. Um, there are plenty of pre-built training plans on Training Peaks that you can buy, and those are really good for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people want a coach. Like, I know kind of what I'm doing, and I just need some structure. So that's a really good way for them to go. Uh, and then there are folks who, man, I really would like to have a coach and I want this custom plan and I don't want to have to think about it and just tell me what to do and I go and then I want the analysis. I know this power meter data or whatever motion data helps me. I need to understand. I don't have time to deal with that, but you do and tell me what it means. All right. So was the development of the um, just download and do-it-yourself plans just a way to expand market reach beyond the people who wouldn't pay for a coach or yeah why? I mean it, it's twofold right because I think that there's um, there there's there's kind of three different people in the the market three different types right you got the person who wants a custom coach who wants that coaching um, and and really thrives under that and that makes a big difference for them then there's a the person who um, maybe can't afford that or maybe they don't need that or don't want that so then a pre-built training plan is really good for them um, because that way they can totally okay this will fit what I'm doing it's eight weeks to my best time trial I've got eight weeks to my best my time trial I'm just gonna do this plan no it works it works then there's the folks who say well you know I really like to have this virtual coaching thing and I can put in my goals and I can put in my strengths and weaknesses and I know how to tweak some of the weeks, and I want to have play more of a uh, interactive role with my own training. And so that's a perfect thing for those. The training plans themselves um, work great. I mean, I've got hundreds and hundreds of emails and testimonials about how great they've done for people that the ones that I built. But then they also are kind of a gateway drug. A lot of people will try. Well, I'll try a training plan. If I like that, then I'll hire a coach. So some of those people who have bought training plans ultimately end up being our coaching clients too. So that's great too. Hmm. The virtual coach where the, the client puts in some of their own data to figure it out, uh, two questions on that. 
with all of the cycling computers now, as soon as you finish your ride, they upload the data to whatever, whether mm-hmm. it's Strava. I think, do some of them upload directly to Training Peaks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so is the software able to take that information and kind of recalculate the training plan, like in real time, sort of update? No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. No, is that on the roadmap? I would like to think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, it's, I hope so. Seems like a good move. You yeah. know, just sort of limited work, which which sort of leads to my the next part of that question was, when people are putting in their own plans and adjusting it themselves, like how do you guys keep them from sabotaging themselves? Right. Because right. really, like a lot of them, right? They probably don't know what they're doing, right? Like right. they're not a coach. So how do you yeah, keep yeah, that yeah. from going south? Yeah. Um, well, I mean that's a tough situation, but you know, I mean they certainly if they change their plan, they certainly can. You know, that's that's one of those things that they can absolutely do, and. Um, you know, we'll get, you know, at Peaks Coaching Group, we'll get a lot of people who will say, you know, I want to hire you guys for an hour of consulting. I need you to look at my plan. I've built this plan. I need you to look at it. Does it make sense? You know, do I need more rest time? Whatever. Look at my data. And so we do a ton of that, too. Hmm. So that's one way to, you know, help out people. Do you ever come across somebody who's, tweaked the plan on their own kind of out of your control and then said oh this training peak stuff sucks it didn't work for me because <laughs> they messed it up but they're blaming you or? right yeah i think they've probably seen some of that <laughs> right so how do you deal with that because nowadays everyone's right you know got this worldwide format with the forums and yeah and it's hard to i mean it's hard to deal with that just because of the, the nature of that and you know it's he said she said kind of thing so it's not an easy thing to to say, well, you know, hey, look, you didn't do this right or that right, or you tweaked this, and we told you not to do that, and it happened anyway. You know, and, and I mean, even that happens in the custom coaching world. You know, I mean, uh, it, it boggles my, <coughs> excuse me, boggles my mind. Some guys, you know, I've had clients who paid me $1,000 a month for coaching, and they don't do the coaching plan. They don't do my training plan. <laughs> they don't even like do it. They like do something else. They're like, I'm like, what are you doing? You're not even doing my training plan. I'm like, you know, working really hard for you. You're paying me a thousand dollars a month to coach you. You're not even doing the training plan. Um, and then, and of course, then they blame you because they don't achieve their goals. And you're just like, but you didn't do the plan. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, some people are what we call are not coachable. <laughs> not coachable. All right. You know? I'm glad you brought up the what what some people are paying you now. So when you so when you started out, you were charging fifty bucks a month, yeah. and now you're obviously uh, making a good bit more than that per month when you do one on one. When when you started out, what was the mindset of that pricing? Was it just I just need to make it affordable so somebody will pay? Or yeah, and you know, and and there was nothing to really base it off of. Like what was it valued at? at the time. So, I mean, I had three different training plans or three different levels, 50, 75 and a hundred bucks a month, you know, and that was it. And then, uh, I think Carmichael came out and I'd been doing it for a couple of years and then Carmichael came out and his was like a hundred, 200, 300 bucks a month. And I was like, well, I'm raising my prices. <laughs> so I immediately doubled all my prices basically to match kind of his prices. Um, and, uh, 
and and people were still you know willing to pay for it. You know there was value there, especially once the you know our first version of uh, software came out, and we could really show athletes like how much they were improving and what they were really doing and the training plans were working then it was like wow this is really cool uh, making huge huge improvements and achieving their goals so as you grew the company uh, with the the goal being this is a business and i'm just not a coach mm-hmm. um how much time were you actually spending coaching and how much time were you spent doing admin and business yeah. development Oh, I mean, uh, for a while there, it seemed like I was doing 70% business and 30% coaching. Um, and then, you know, I mean, it, it, it fluctuated all through the years between all that and juggling, um, trying to juggle my personal clients because my personal clients are the ones that paid me, you know, and that's the money that I used to feed my family with. Um, and then I plowed all the money back into the, the business to keep that going. Um, and so that was a, that's been a challenge over the years. At this point now, you know, I mean, uh, I've got a really great team. They, you know, uh, like, they don't even need me really. <laughs> they, they're just going like uh, this whole week. I haven't even been in the office all week. I've been traveling all week, and uh, you know, I haven't even called them on the phone. It's been really great. Like uh, they're just kicking butt there, and we communicate back and forth the email. They don't even need me really, which is awesome. Uh, it's a great place to get to. It's taken many, many years to get to that place, um, but that allows me to coach the athletes that I coach. And then do really cool projects like this, uh, the Type R project with the motion sensors. Um, you know, I'm working on a book for indoor cycling right now uh, as well because training racing with a power meter for indoor cycling is getting to be really huge. So spinning instructors, um, all these new power meters are coming out for indoor bikes. So nobody's written a book on that yet. So I'm working on that. Um, and then working on this book uh, that I really want to do with the, the Liamo team as well. It would be really cool to be able to say, okay, how do we use this motion sensor data that's the same thing that we had back in 2000 when we had power meters? Like, what do you do with this data? So. It sounds like they're trying to figure that out too from the yep. presentation we were both at tonight. Yep. Um, so talking about your books then, you've written three books? Two books. Two books. Yep. Um, what made you want to do that? Oh man, it was a matter of necessity, really. I just got tired of answering the same email over and over. <laughs> you know, and what do I do with the power meter? I got a power meter. What do I do with it now? Right. And um, Dr. Coggin and I had written a bunch of articles, and we had just started really writing these articles, and all of a sudden, you know, I realized like, oh wow, we have enough articles now, and we have a system that we created that basically with a little bit of polish and spit here, we can actually make this into a chapter and make this into a chapter and make this into a chapter and we had an outline. And uh, we sat down one night in a hotel room in Boston when we were teaching the next day a power seminar in Boston and uh, let's write the outline. We just wrote the outline for the book and just started working on it. Um, And so wrote it and um, yeah. That was how it started. What year was that? That was 
Uh, let's see, the book was published in 2006, so that was, that was probably 2005, yeah, when I wrote that, yeah, Andy and I wrote that together, yeah. And why, what was the second book? second book was cut, uh, Cutting Edge Cycling that Dr. Stephen Chung and I wrote, and um, Human Kinetics uh, came to us and said, hey, would you write this book, this kind of a, um, what the second edition of Ed Burke's book would have been Science and Cycling or something like that um, but he passed away and so they didn't have a second book for that so they asked us to write for that which um, yeah, it's a pretty good book it's an interesting book it's a little dated now but um, it's a it's a neat there's some really cool chapters in there that I'm really proud of and uh, you know kind of explaining some of the physiology and then what happens and how the application of it is. So uh, Dr. Chung is really, really great scientist. So he applied the science side where I had like all the application of the real world. It's like, what happens in the real world? So that was my role with that part. And the first book, just so we've got it on record, was mm -hmm. called Training with Power? Training right? Racing with a Power Training Meter. Training Racing yep. with Power That was 2006. And then 2009 would be the second edition of that. And that's the current edition right now. Um, probably really need to write a third edition actually it's gotten pretty dated 2009 is a long time ago now um, and uh, but we've been batting back and forth like well do we want to do a third edition or should we do another book and call it advances in training with a power meter and racing with a power meter um, so I don't know we'll figure that out so the first book was maybe just to get people to stop asking you the same questions over and over again but mm -hmm. it's obviously there's the work there's cost involved in that was it viewed as just a, a separate business that the book side of it or was it a marketing tool for your training or some combination no I mean the book really wasn't any of that I mean we didn't give a crap about the book really I mean it's like you know we're gonna write the book because we just wanted to write the book you know and it wasn't something that we set out to like oh we're gonna make a million dollars because you don't make any money selling books i mean it's ridiculous you make no money okay you sell like a million or two million books okay you make some money but like this is a very niche market you know so you don't make any money with that um yeah it really was just to share it it was all it was about it was like like we just want to share this knowledge and we just want to get it out there and the to to help people that was all that we really decided to do can, can you say how many copies you've sold of the first and second? Oh, I think it's like around 100,000 now. Wow. Yeah, so I think it's around 100,000. Yeah, somewhere in that range. And that doesn't make you any money? Uh, I mean, it's made some money. You know, I mean, it pays some bills, but it's not uh, It's not like, you know, woohoo, we're millionaires or anything like that. <laughs> right. You know, uh, it's paid some bills, but which is nice. I mean, I'm not complaining, um, but at the same time, it's, it's like... Uh, yeah, it's not anything like you would think it would be. Huh. The running these businesses and stuff, what are some of the challenges that you've faced and how did you overcome them? Oh, man. Um, you know, um, I think that some of the lessons that I've learned have been, one, it's nearly impossible to do anything by yourself. Like, you have to have either partners in the business or good teammates in the business to be successful. Like I think that it's just impossible to do things by yourself. One, you've got to have other people to help you that see and share your vision. 
then, um, you know, at the same time, that can also be really, really challenging working with partners. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, I've, I've had multiple partners in the past, um, and I've now sworn that I will not take any more partners. <laughs> um, so, but at the same time, you know, I, I've gotten the business to a place where now it's like, you know, I have a really good team that works for us and, and does a great job for all of our coaches and for all of our athletes. Um, learned a lot on the way, um, you know, and, and, um, and yeah, it's matured to a place that's fine now. Right. Yeah, but, yeah. Cool. The, um, couple things. You, you The way you phrased your involvement with, uh, Training Peaks made it almost sound like you don't work with them as much anymore? Well, no, I sold all my equity. Okay. Yeah, so I sold my equity in 2014. Um, there was, uh, uh, we took some venture capital from a guy in, I don't know, 2010 or something. And then he's um, started to really, you know, umbrella out with buying other companies. So now there's a bunch of different companies under the Peaksware umbrella. And uh, at one point they said, hey, we want to buy out all of the owners except for basically Dirk Friel and Joe uh, Gear Fisher. And Joe Friel, Dirk's dad, I think sold most of his. Uh, I sold all of mine. Kevin Williams sold all of his. Uh, there was one other owner he's, he sold out as well. So I'm like, yeah, that was like, boom. I, I stayed on to the end of October 2015 to basically, we launched the fourth version of WKO4. So that was my, like, okay, I'll stay on to this point. And then once that was that was done, then, yeah, we're, that, was, that was cool. So Joe Friel was involved in Training Bible. Yeah. That's yeah. the name of his books. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. Pieces so, are coming together now. Yeah, yeah. So Joe really, um, you know, because Gear uh, and Dirk were best friends, still our best friends, and they wanted to build a um, basically a virtual spreadsheet of how to use Joe's periodization plan in the back of his book. And so that's what they did. They did that online back in whatever they did that. Um, and then that was how that started. So trainingbible.com started that way. And then you brought the power component to that. We brought that, the desktop software and all the power components to that. Yeah. Well, was that a tough decision to sell? Mm, here in the re- in recent couple of years, no. I mean, it wasn't. It was and wasn't. Um, you know, it was kind of a good timing thing. Um, and uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was somewhat you know difficult, but at the same time, it was like you know the offer was good enough and it made sense. So yeah, great. And so. The name that you built for yourself, uh, we're here at a presentation for a new product launch where it's instead of tracking power, it's tracking motion, mm-hmm. uh, which has potential benefits for a lot of different types of athletes, not just cyclists. But they tapped you to help write the initial kind of like manual for how to use this mm-hmm. for cycling in particular. Um, which sounds a lot like a consulting gig. Mm-hmm. Has has that has opportunities like this come up now that you've mm-hmm. really established yourself over what fifteen, sixteen yeah. years? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, working with with this is a is a great um, you know opportunity to help them, and again, try and figure out some new technology and as a you know a part of their team and, and as a consultant. Um, and then uh, I work with two or three other companies right now as well to help them uh, with their products. Um, one's an indoor cycling company, the Indoor Cycling Group, that's out of Germany. So I've helped them with their power meter in their indoor bike uh, and, and help them with some of their head units and uh, other things. So there's, you know, those things come along all the time, you know, and uh, I've been involved in a couple other product launches, uh, helping other power meter companies, um, doing some other pretty fun stuff along the way too. So, yeah. Did, do you put yourself out there and approach these people and, and offer your services or do they come to you? No, they've all come to me. Right. Yeah. Was ever was there ever a point when you thought this was an opportunity or was the first one a surprise? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I never really considered it as a, um, as a, uh, and I still don't, I mean, necessarily, I mean, it's not something that I live on, you know, or, or like, oh, I'm definitely, I've got to have this consulting gig or whatever. We're not going to feed the family. No, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a dash, additional income that's fun. You know, whatever, put it in the bank and put for college education or something like that. So it's my main business is focused on Peaks Coaching Group and making sure my coaches are well trained and they're happy and doing well, and my and all their athletes are kicking butt. All right, a couple more financial questions, mm-hmm. and, and feel free to not answer whatever you don't want to. For the consulting stuff, do you? Have you established kind of a, a rate, like a day rate, hour rate, project rate, or do they come to you and say, hey, we'll offer you this to do this? I mean, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I have an hourly rate, and then I have kind of a daily rate as well. Um, but then a lot of times they come to me with, this is the thing that we want accomplished. And so then then I can give them a, here's a project rate if they want that. So I've done all of those things, yeah. Okay. And so for the coaches that you employ, do you pay them like per client or are they all salary based? How does no, that I mean, we're, they're all subcontractors of Peaks Coaching Group. So uh, what we do is, is basically we take a split of the fee that the athlete pays. So athlete is at the goal level, pays three twenty nine a month. You know, we take a split of that and then the coach gets the majority of that. And that really goes to pay for, all, again, all the marketing, the admin, bringing the clients, you know, handling all of the, the websites and all that stuff so that, you know, they can just worry about coaching. Right. Yeah. Cool. So if somebody out there wanted to start up a similar kind of like online service-based business, coaching or something else, mm-hmm. um, is there a piece or two of advice that you might give them? Oh man, um, well I tell you, online service from a personal service standpoint is um, it, it is a difficult thing to scale. There's no doubt about that uh, because you have to figure out how do I scale my services, my personal services, and it's not unlike you know doing it 
in the personal service industry in the real world, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, well, um, you know, I have a house cleaning service and I clean houses. Well, how do I get like other people to help me clean houses and then make sure that they do a really good job, you know? And, and, and then you've got a house cleaning business and you've got 10 people cleaning houses for you or whatever that is. That's still a very difficult thing to do because the quality control is really hard to do. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think that if you're going into a service oriented business where, um, you either have to make a conscious decision right away, like, okay, I'm going to be a one man show and this is the one man show deal and that's where it is. Or two, I'm going to, you know, figure out how that I can scale it and teach these other people really quickly and easily so that they can be a part of my business and how can I make that happen. Um, so we got to do some financial modeling. got to make sure the money works too. All right. And you obviously chose the latter because yep. you, you've got coaches. So with your coaches, how do you ensure quality control? How do you ensure they're giving the customer the experience that you right. expect right. of them? Right. Well, that's difficult. It's not easy. But um, they go through a, a six-week training program uh, they have, uh, we call them the seven deliverables. All coaches have to deliver these seven different things to their, to our clients. And then that way we know that, okay, they're at least doing these things. And those things are the critical part of coaching. And then because, you know, I don't ever want it to be like a bunch of mini Hunter Allens trying to coach, right? I want them to bring their own personality. I want them to say, okay, well, this is a, they're an expert in track cycling. This person's an expert in mountain biking. This person's a, an expert in ultra endurance. This person's an expert in women's racing. Whatever that is, I want them to bring that and their personality to the table. But I also want them to deliver that experience that, you know, if they switched coaches and athletes switched coaches, they would certainly go right to another coach and be like, oh, yeah, there's familiar things here that are happening. These things are still happening with this coach. So, yeah. How do you track that? Um, so we do a couple different things. Um, one, we've got uh, surveys that go out every month to all of our clients, and they fill out the survey. Not all of our clients, but we pick. You know, we got to do a cycle of clients, and then um, they pick. They they fill out the survey. How the, they're delivering these different things. Two, um, I have scheduled talks with all of my coaches, so I go through all the the coaches talk with them on the phone, making sure that they're delivering what they need to deliver, they have questions, how the thing's going, et cetera, talking with them. I do three, I do ongoing education every month, so we have ongoing education. I do a webinar typically every month for all of our coaches, and a lot of times we'll have another one of our coaches do that, so sharing their knowledge too. So that's nice. Cool. It seems like the approach of having coaches that are familiar with a different discipline helps expand your reach too because you know you probably had your focus on road but right yeah that's great so from last question and because i know it's getting late uh marketing how, how do you get the word out about your service what do you guys do for advertising or yeah yeah, yeah. um well i mean it, it's definitely evolved over time um and things are different um you know Unfortunately, Road Magazine has gone out of business, and that was like a really cool magazine. I'm really bummed about that, but I had a great ad in there, and I wrote for Road Magazine for seven years, so that was good. Um, writing articles was a huge part in the beginning, so really 
um, writing a ton of articles about different things to getting getting my name out there and getting our name out there and people reading it and then inquiring about it. That was a big piece of it. Um, we did a ton of grassroots stuff right early on, literally going to all the races around Virginia and everywhere and having booths all over the place. Um, and then from there, it's then morphed into, okay, well now we're doing more online advertising with Bike Rumor, um, you know, with Google, with Facebook, with all kinds of different places like that. And then we were also coming back to the grassroots stuff. So this past year, I really brought that back into the business because um, we didn't have this presence in Virginia, you know, North Carolina, uh, Maryland, Pennsylvania, you know, the mid-Atlantic area. I was like, man, we just need to have this presence again. So we started having booths again at bike races and um, going around and, and participating in events that are in the area because that really made good sense. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. That That's valuable because in my mind it's like, it is like getting the one-on-one with customers is, is awesome, but it's also impossible to scale. <laughs> and it's also very expensive. It's not impossible. It's very expensive yeah. to scale. Yeah. And stuff, but you but you yeah. see a return on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, every time we go and do an event, you know, we'll get. I mean, you may get one or two clients right there at the event, but then you end up getting ten or fifteen because of it. Because mm-hmm. of later on, you go to another event, and you see them again, right? Or three months later, they say, "Oh, you know, I really want to coach. Oh, who are those Peaks Coaching Group guys? I've met them. You know, they'll hire us." But um, yeah, absolutely. Do you see a lot of uh, referral, like word of mouth, like one customer brings you another customer? It's hard to say because a lot of times people won't say that they're being coached. It's kind of like, well, I don't want to be tell people I'm being coached by somebody, you know, so they won't say that necessarily. Um, but, you know, we get some word of mouth. Yeah, yeah, some of them once in a while. I wouldn't say that that's a big... Um, some businesses, word of mouth is the only thing there is, you know. Um, and I think that, um, you know, in this internet world where, again, like you have this platform wherever, it's almost like, you know, people say some nice things about you and maybe they don't even know, they don't even say, oh yeah, these guys are really great, you know, and, and blah, blah, or, you know, it's not as so obvious, it's like, Oh, Joe, you should hire Peaks Coaching Group. You know, it's like they just say nice things about you, and that makes a difference. Cool. Do you have any big name pros coaching for you or that you've coached? Oh, um, you know, uh, over the years, right now, we don't have anybody big name. Well, Scott Moniger coaches for us. Scott's the winningest U.S. pro in the country ever. Uh, won over 275 professional races, so he's a great coach. He's a really cool guy. I like, you know, Scott's a great guy. He's been with us for a long time. How'd you get him on board? Um, how did Scott come on board? Uh, we have a mutual friend, and um, and uh, Scott had talked to our mutual friend and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about starting coaching, and, and he's like, you should talk to Hunter, you know, and then he and I built a relationship, Scott and I, and then we brought him on and taught him, and he's been a really great coach. Um, Do you charge more for his services, or is he able to charge more? Um, you know, yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, he can, um, you know, so that's good. He's, he's, um, he doesn't want a ton of clients, he's happy with his client level, um, which is fine, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, and then, um, let's see, big time pros, I mean, we haven't coached a ton of people, like, 
in the Tour de France, we've got guys who've been in the Tour de France and Olympics and all that stuff, and ladies and world champions and things like that all over the years. Um, you know, I mean, for me personally, I think I'm probably really proud of coaching uh, Jeremiah Bishop. Uh, uh, he's he's a local, an animal. <laughs> he's a local guy, you know, about an hour and a half away from me. I coached him for seven years, and um, we had a lot of success in those seven years. You know, we're a good relationship, good team together, Pringy and I. And, um, yeah, he's been really good. Um, so, yeah, I coached a guy right now who's on an Italian pro team. I started coaching him when he was 16 and all the way through college and then helped him get on a, a pro team after that. And now he's on a pro team in Italy. That's been really satisfying because I coached him for seven, eight years from the time he was like a cat four at 16 all the way to being a pro in, in Italy. So that was pretty fun. Nice. Yeah. All right, where can people find you online? Uh, peakscoachinggroup.com. Easy. Yep, that's easy enough. We'll put all that in the show notes. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. Good talking to you. All right, you bet. There are a couple of key points I took away from this. The first is, well, while he's a little bit humble about it, he saw an emerging technology and found a way to take advantage of that quickly before it was real popular and real mainstream. It doesn't matter what category you're in. If you see something coming around that has obvious benefits to the customer base, whether that customer base realizes it yet or not, it's not a bad idea to go ahead and become a subject matter expert and figure out how it works. Another thing I noticed was that he was able to scale his business by growing it well beyond himself. He put in systems and training guides so that he could hire people to replicate what he was offering. And without that, there's no way he could have grown. But he also helped create Training Peaks, which was an online virtual platform that allowed them to reach thousands more cyclists than they could have done with one-on-one -on -one consulting. Perhaps the biggest takeaway with this was that he made it simple. And what I mean by that is twofold. With athletes, a lot of people are too busy to come up with their training plans. And if you read the books that they mentioned, some of those training plans are incredibly complicated to figure out on your own. So having somebody else do that for a small amount of money per month creates a huge market opportunity for them. The other thing is he made it easy for other coaches to join him by creating the whole back end, the whole management system, payments and everything else so that all they had to do was focus on coaching. So if you can make it easy for other people, there is a business there. Thanks a lot and be sure to find us on social media at The Build Cycle. See you later.